Welcome to Rhode Island's Church and State Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Jessica. We're a husband and wife podcast. He's a pastor and I'm a state senator. So you've been warned. We're about to talk politics and religion. And anything else that might get us canceled. Welcome back, everybody, to an episode of Rhode Island's Church and State. Uh, This is episode 37. And uh, today we wanted to take an inside look at Governor McKee's eight-year plan. Sounds a little scary if you've ever studied history, you know, that the communists had their five-year plans (laughs) and those five-year plans never ended well. Uh, But uh, Governor McKee, God bless him, uh, has a vision for the state and uh, uh, he's hoping that by 2030, we'll see some significant changes. Um, But before we unpack his plan, I thought we'd... uh, just ask my wife, the the uh, the great senator from the northwestern the corner of the state, senator. the the one and only Jessica Dela Cruz. Uh, if you were thinking about a eight year plan, uh, what would you put in it? That's really good. Um, I, I think your intro was really hilarious. The five year plan, but <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a historical perspective. Yeah. Um... But yeah, the, having long-term plans are good. So uh, what I would love to see is, I love this to not think small. So, you know, I, I'd love to hear what uh, others think and what could we do, like make a big impact. We have this large sum of money. What How much money do? is it? Oh, $1 billion. A billion dollars. What would you do with a billion dollars? Personally or for the state? Well, yeah, <laughs> we're thinking about the state here, so... Because personally, I have a list. Well, I think I would just live off the interest. What do you do with a billion dollars? I mean, you you give a lot of it away. I guess you would have to that, or you do like what what um, uh, Elon Musk is doing, you know, or or Jeff Bezos, and, and jump into the space race. See if you can start your own yeah, I'm not space station or something. Going into space, I like planet Earth. What would you do with a billion dollars? Well, I think that we should definitely be investing in education. I think it's so important. And obviously, with everything that's happening in the state, with um, what we see with school committees and pornographic books, and but really what we need to focus on is on educating our children, right? The mm. math, the reading, the English. And I think school choice is really important and educational freedom, however you want to call it. Some people call it school choice, educational freedom, um, educational laboratories. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, go ahead. You're going to say something. Well, I was thinking that I think that's a good one because there was, um, that study that was done, uh, well over a year ago now that really outlined some of the, the huge deficiencies in, in Rhode Island's, um, public education. Mm-hmm. Um, most probably most famously the, the Providence, uh, study. Oh yeah. And it was, Johns uh, Hopkins report. yeah, it was, it was awful. And we did a whole podcast episode kind of talking about that, but um, I do think if we want to get Rhode Island back on the right track, without a doubt, you've got a um, the the education system has to be a high priority because um, it's what attracts people to a, a community, to a state. No one's going to want to move to a town or a city where the um, the educational system is falling apart. They want their kids in a good school. Now, some people they're going to be able to afford a private education, so maybe they're not part of that equation. But uh, for you know, mainstream Rhode Islanders, they are relying and hoping that the uh, the school system is going to give their kids an opportunity. And that starts with just basic reading and writing. And you talked about how, um, you know, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of other weird stuff that's been being 
being taught in schools when they're not really learning the basics, the principles, the core, um, the, the, well, maybe they're the, I'm sure many of the teachers are trying, but we're not seeing the results. Right. Right. So what else? Uh, education. So by education, are you talking about like charter schools and well, charter schools are really public schools, but charter schools are a good option and it's a good start, but it's not the solution. I mm -hmm. think it's part, one part of the solution. But it fits into that whole thing on school choice. It does. Yeah. Okay. All so right. I think so it, more school choice. I think charter schools are a step in the right direction, mm -hmm. but they're not the end all be all. They're not the, the answer. I think, yeah. you know, I look at my three kids and they're very different. And one of them's learning style is significantly different from the others. And so we have these schools that they teach a certain way, you know, the teacher stands up and disseminates information, but not every child learns this, that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. So we need to give parents the opportunity that the ability to say, okay, this, this style doesn't work for my child. I'm going to try something else or this district. I'm unhappy with the kind of curriculum that they're bringing forth. I'm going to choose a different, I'm going to choose a private school. Right. Whatever okay. It is. All, All right. right. So we got education. What else? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think home prices, we keep talking about there's a sh housing shortage. The prices are too high. Rents are too high. Um, I was just talking to a Senator last night and she said in Providence, we're talking like a three bedroom is like $2,000. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like that's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Especially for Providence. Cause you think, you know, in the city, sometimes you can find uh, cheaper rents depending on which which are the uh, areas that you're looking at. But so instead of subsidizing it, government sub subsidizing these rents and these home prices, which I am very much against, I think that what we need to do in order to bring down the cost of buying a home and renting is allowing for homes to be built. You mm -hmm. know, it's a simple economics, um, supply and demand issue. You mm -hmm. don't have a large supply. So the demand is high, so the price is high. Mm -hmm. But when you have more homes and more rental properties available, the supply is plentiful, and so the prices come down. So I think if what we need to do is it's not I don't want to I don't want to scare people by saying less regulation because you think like the house is going to be shoddy. Mm. What I'm talking about is streamlining the process, um, taking out any um, steps or or fees or whatever it is that the government. Um, imposes on these individuals to build homes, make mm -hmm. it easier for people to build homes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I and to know. do it if they have uh, private property, uh, deciding what they want to do with it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm at our home. If I could build a little in-law apartment mm -hmm. and let my mom live there or your mom live there, you know, I should be able to do that. Right. And I, I know some towns, some cities don't like that, but I think it's, it's good for, that's good Keeping for the family. families together. And now you've opened up an, a, a place for someone else exactly. to, to, to move to. Who doesn't have the same kind of opportunity to live with their, right. their child. Right. Um, so yeah, there's that. What do you think about that one? Well, I think that's good. You know, I think maybe what we'll do is we'll go back and forth because you, you, uh, intentionally, we didn't have you read the McKee study so that we could kind of hear what your hopes would be for the state and how you would, um, you know, what things you think the, the state leader should be working on. So you've just talked about two educational opportunities. You talked about, um, uh, home prices. Mm -hmm. So when I read McKee's 30, um, not 30 year plan, excuse me, <laughs> his plan for, uh, I think he called it charting a, a, a new course for the ocean state um, to 2030. When he talked about some of these things, um, 
a lot of it was, you know, it was high on aspiration, but it was very low on detail. And I, I'm okay with that for now because, you know, he even called it a working doc. Um, and it's a conversation. And he's had a lot of people from across the state, state leaders, town and city officials, uh, you know, people from the private sector, all sorts of people have been weighing in on this. I wasn't asked to, I'm not, my feelings aren't, wow. aren't hurt by that. But I am wondering if there were people from uh, a different po political persuasion, you know, if there were conservatives that were included in this um, in this discussion, because otherwise you're just kind of talking to the um, echo chamber. In the echo chamber, you're in the bubble, and you're not thinking outside the box. Um, so when he was talking about education, um, he did mention, you know, that they want to see stronger and better and more. Um, uh, more support to the career and technical schools. That's good. I, I I think I'm a big supporter of that as well because I think you know college is great, but it's not for every kid. Some kids are really gonna excel when they have a trade like a electrician or or plumbing or or whatever it might be. So I'm very supportive of that. I think that was really good. What I didn't see though was a lot of um, a lot of talk about charter schools. There was a lot of talk about addressing inequities. In fact. That felt like a third or a quarter of the whole document, which is like 53 or 54 pages, deals with addressing inequities. But um, so let's talk about that, because inequity, if we're being honest, um, the kids in these inner cities are the ones that are suffering mm -hmm. um, these educational losses at a much um larger rate than those in more rural communities. I mean, that's why we left the city to move out into North Smithfield because those are the good, the great schools mm -hmm. because our choice was private school or public school. We couldn't afford private school for our three kids. So we moved out to a better district. Um, not everybody can do that. And so if we're talking about, you know, how we can improve the situation of these families, if they can't move out of Providence, then give them the money and send them with a voucher to a different school. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one way we can fix it. it. We can't just keep throwing money at a problem. Right. Uh, at, if, if we know it's failing. Right. Which and we know that it is. And, you know, it's not that you don't want to resource them, but we have been for decades. I mean, we've been talking about this issue back when I was uh, studying education, you know, 20 years ago. This was um, a crisis and it was highlighted as a significant problem for the state. And even after all the money's being thrown at it, we haven't seen a change. I think this is where you need to see some laboratories opened up for for other schools where they're trying different things out, where they can they have more autonomy over who's going to be a staff, who's going to be a teacher. They can mm -hmm. let them go if they're not performing well. Right. And um, a, a lot of public schools, uh, at least the traditional public schools, they don't have the same flexibility. And I think that handicaps them, whereas charter schools have that. That, um, that, that flexibility. And not even just charter schools, but private schools. Private schools too. Yeah, good point. Um, and homeschools. You know, it's, yeah. kind of, it's really this larger picture of educational freedom. And mm -hmm. that was all lacking in his document. Uh, again, to his credit, he was talking about career and technical pathways, but charter but, uh, schools should have been a big yeah. part of this. And I want to be clear that I w would have to introduce a piece of legislation or somebody would, or I would co-sponsor. But even though these dollars these taxpayer dollars are going with the child as say it as a voucher. I am not going to impose any sort of rule on this private school that they have to use a certain curriculum, that they mm -hmm. have to um, 
there, I wouldn't want them interfering at all with right. these private schools, right? I mean, that's the laboratory idea. Right. Let them try it out. And the, maybe it's because we're libertarian when it comes to education. Every person should be able to decide the education that's best for their child. Um, and charter schools and school vouchers, that would kind of open that door for, for people. All right. So there was education. You talked about homes. He talked about that as well. And uh, he highlighted that Rhode Island's housing problem it, it, there's two problems right it, it's a problem on supply and on demand mm -hmm. because on one side the supply problem is we just we're not generating homes as quickly as we need to so the supply problem is there but we also have a demand problem not only because there are people in rhode island that want ho uh, homes but it's people from out of the state one thing that uh, the report or this uh, this working doc highlighted was that buyers from other states accounted for 26% of all the total sales in the second quarter of 2021. So back in the spring, 26% of all the homes that were mm -hmm. bought were bought by people from outside of Rhode Island. That's a, that's, that's a significant problem. That's up, by the way, from 20 or 21% of a year ago from uh, spring of 2020. Yeah. So we have a supply problem and a demand problem. Yeah. And I think in order to solve that, you've, you've at least got to address the supply problem um, because uh, people from Massachusetts, uh, presumably a lot of the, a lot of this 26% are buying from out of state or buying from Massachusetts. They work in mass or maybe they live in mass, but they're moving to Rhode Island because the houses are cheaper here. When I or look they at commute. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're now commuting. They live here and they're, mm -hmm. they're continuing to work in Massachusetts. When you look at, uh, you know, you open up Zillow and just check out the housing market, uh, Massachusetts, it's more expensive yeah. to, to live over there. Uh, so a lot of those people, they don't mind the extra five, 10, 15 minute commute if they're in Rhode Island. Yeah. Uh, did you want to say something? Nope. All right. What else would you uh, hope to see in this document? And then I'll tell you if he talked about it. <clears throat> well, I'm going to guess he talked about equity. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little something it's in there. It's all over the place. Okay. Every single um, header okay. or section you know, is probably the, the first or second bullet point. We okay. need to address the inequities. What's your problem with inequity? Don't you want to see everybody the same and, and see fairness and justice? Why are you so against in, uh, the inequities in our society or against, well, uh, <laughs> why are you so pro inequity? Well, um, I'm not against equity. I'm not against equality. Excuse me. There we go. Equality. Okay. All right. equality. What's but, the difference? Because I think a lot of people um, yeah. just hear an equity and like, yeah, that's not fair. We, well, we well, need to fix that. Yeah. The way that I look at it is equality means we're all equal. We're given mm -hmm. equal opportunity where equity is, um, you know, you don't have as much as your neighbor. So we're going to, we're going to just hand it over to you so you can, you know, be be equal. Right, right. Know. It's it's uh, focused on the outcome. Right. Whereas uh, conservatives tend to be more... Uh, Are you calling me conservative? That's a bad word. <laughs> around here, I guess in the state, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll make sure this is a, a private conservative podcast. Conservative libertarian sounds like very, you know, con uh, contrary. But. Well, I mean, we, we believe in free opportunity. We want everyone to be given an opportunity. Yes. But the uh, narrative has changed significantly over the last few years where opportunity is not enough. 
that we need to guarantee that the outcome is equitable, is fair, is uh, is the same. And that's hard because that does not account for the other factors. You know, it's not just the person's race or gender um, that that should be playing into this, but it should also be their you know are they working? Their drive. Did their their drive? Uh, have they finished school? Did they have kids? You know, before. Uh, they, uh, uh, while they were in high school. I yeah. mean, there are all these other factors that need to be considered that drive, you know, whether or not a person is going to be successful. Tom Sowell said, and I'm going to butcher it, but he said something along the lines of you. Thomas Sowell, the, uh, uh, the economist. world famous economist, mm -hmm. brilliant mind. You know, he was once a Marxist. Yes. And then he switched. He became a conservative. I know. You know what, what, what fixed that for him? working in the government. <laughs> Once he worked in the government, he lost all faith uh, that the government could and, solve anything. And rightly so, Mr. Sol. So, sorry, what was the soul? So, quote? yeah, he said something along the lines of, like, you can't even have equal outcomes in, like, if you have, like, two kids, right? You get, you don't even have equal outcomes with those two kids. They, mm. they become very different. You mm -hmm. have the same opportunity, the same parents, mm. the same upbringing. Same home, same schools. Same, yeah, mm -hmm. but you have different outcomes. So mm. saying or thinking and believing that we can have equal outcomes for everybody when we can't even have equal outcomes for siblings. Yeah. There's... Come on. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. So, soul a genius. He's I, a genius. He's one of those guys I, I love but to see. His I wanted to and... say about equity. I mm -hmm. think that if we're going to um, go on this, uh, on I don't, if we're going to to force this like gender and ec economic equity, then I think we need to really think about political equity. Oh, right? okay, right, because uh, we. We have a, I feel I'm very underrepresented here. Right. There's the a hegemony in yes. the state, and the hegemony <laughs> seems to be. You stole my word, the, David. The <laughs> well, I don't think you coined the term hegemony, but no, I think it was a Marxist. Well, uh, hegemony is the idea of, the, of, of that power structure, right? Right. And the hegemony in this state really is it's with the uh, Democratic Party. With the Democratic Party, yeah, got to um, say it like it is. Well, you had that one party. Mm -hmm that is so powerful or that one group that is so powerful that it asserts its dominance over the the smaller group. So if we did- Why are you well, laughing? Well, I'm just thinking if you, uh, first of all, your face got really serious, like uh, you really were believing this. All right, so if we did want to embrace equity or inequity um, or embrace taking on inequity, you would want to see it Let's carry it out in all spheres, not yeah. just race, gender, uh, sexual orientation, economic, uh, yeah, economic, but also uh, political yes. equity. So, how do we get to 50 percent exactly representation? At 50, the 50 representation. If 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 that if, if everyone's serious about that, then let's have a conversation about equity across the board. But if we're not serious about 50-50 representation at the state house, then I don't really think we're serious about equity. Yeah. It does minority voice. Because I do feel marginalized in this state and disenfranchised. I feel like my vote does not matter. Um, it's as, okay. There's a support group for that. <laughs> um, all right. So we've talked about uh, education. We've talked about equity. We've talked about uh, home prices. What else would you hope to see? Oh, I like Give to me see one or freedoms. Two. Freedoms. Yes, freedoms. Making... He did not address freedoms anywhere what? in this document. In his eight-year plan? Yeah. I, 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 when I read it, I did not see a, a section on, or a That's chapter on freedoms. What do you say. mean by that? What, what? Well, I want to make sure that any future crisis mm -hmm. um, that 
we have to make sure that we put the brakes on executive powers. Okay. We've seen what I'm going to call a state of emergency really is like a state of madness where the general assembly has been absent. Um, the governor has had complete control now for almost two years or 20 months now. And so there's this great bill by Senator Rogers, which I was very lucky to co-sponsor. I was like, I have to have my name on that legislation. And he submitted that, um, the legislature, he, the governor would have one renewal, 30 day renewal. And then the legislature would need to come back at, for every single renewal to vote, um, on whether or not the legislature would allow the mm -hmm. continuation of emergency powers. Um, and I think that's, I, I think that's part of good government. That's part of the checks and balances. Yeah. That's really good. Um, the governor didn't have that in there. He, uh, he did not, there was no, no talk about, uh, freedom. Um, I'm not saying he's anti-freedom, but he, he doesn't even really talk about, you know, the state of emergency or, yeah. you know, that who knows, maybe well, eight I years from say, now we'll still be in it. No, no, I guess I'm hopeful that at least in eight years, we won't be in the state of emergency because if it's not in his plan, oh, it must mean that we're, or he's just taken for granted that it's, <laughs> that we'll, we'll just be in it. Who, who knows? <laughs> All right. Pick uh, one more thing that you'd hope to see in an eight year plan to get Rhode Island back on the right track. Well, that's tough because there's the economy and then there's energy. And I think that um, two of those are really important. We want to make sure that we allow for um, for the development of, um, of, of the, the private sector. Um, and we want to encourage these risk takers, these mm. people to start businesses, to feel comfortable doing that here in Rhode Island. What if you're not prone to risk taking? Like, you're probably not a business person. But what if, you know, what if we're aiming for equity? Is there like a cricket yeah, like so thing we can put? There's no answer for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes a different kind of person sure um, to, to start a business. You know who I noticed seem to be risk takers? It does seem to be the immigrants, the immigrant community. Yeah, for sure. They take the biggest risks. That's why I always say they have the American spirit. They're the risk takers. Maybe it's just anecdotal and maybe it's just because I haven't met enough people, right? Uh, that, that certainly could be it. But throughout my life, when I look at the patterns of people that I see who have just started a business or started their own thing, or they're usually, not always, but I mean, it feels like 70% of them are immigrants. They start their own business. Mm. And I think sometimes it's because it was a risk to get here. Right, like to yeah. leave their country, leave their Start comfort, over, leave their home, leave their family. Yeah, that's a risky endeavor. So they, when they get here, we've already attracted some of the you know most risk taking people, and I I I want to like encourage that. And it's not a foolish risk, you know. Right. It's a it, it's a risk they're taking, but it's like a calculated decision. Like, yeah, this is a land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that chance. Right. So it's not like they're foolishly going into these. Uh, decisions. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, his document, um, yeah, it, it doesn't talk about risk takers, uh, particularly, but it does, uh, it does talk about how the Rhode Island economy has suffered a lot since the pandemic. Um, he talked about, let's see, uh, he, he did talk about how, uh, Rhode Island had, uh, uh, employment rates that were at an all time high, um, at about, uh, let's see, 4%, excuse me, uh, all-time low, 4%. So uh, unemployment was at 4% back in February of 2020. But then two months later, because of the pandemic, obviously, that number rose dramatically. 
um, to, and the employment rate was at about 17%. Of course, that was in the pandemic. So we remember a lot of people were unemployed. It was all that federal money that was helping to, to um, you know, at least make sure they still had money in their pocket and, and could stay stay comfortable. Um, but since then, the state has um, uh, had their unemployment rate drop to uh, uh, 5%, 5.8%, which is still pretty high. So he doesn't really have any specifics on the um, uh, on taking on um, the economy or mm -hmm. improving it. He had a lot of, again, a lot of aspirational stuff, a lot of stuff that most people would agree, you know, cut the red tape. We want to make so sure. So no that, specifics. No specifics. But okay. it's a working document. But it's a working document, document yep. and it's just visionary at the moment. So I'm hoping that there'll be like a follow-up. These were my visions. This is how we're going to realize those visions. Yeah, right. pretty much. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I, I'll leave you with this. The um, the working doc is uh, is a working doc, and they're going to continue to look for and receive public opinion. I think if you're interested in in shaping this and being a voice uh, in this, the governor did announce in the document that he's going to go on a five county listening tour where he'll be stopping throughout the state, listening to people. And I would strongly encourage you, if you have any thoughts on any of these things, maybe you're a small business leader, maybe you're in education, maybe you're in healthcare, uh, maybe you're a freedom-loving person, any of these things, make sure that you, uh, you're looking for that and that you make your voice heard and add your voice to the conversation because it is needed. I noticed that whenever mainstream Rhode Islanders kind of check out and just assume that someone else is going to do it. That's when things get weird because now the fringe people um, who really passionately care about one thing, uh, they, they hijack the conversation. If that isn't the truth, I don't know what is. Cause it's this, this is what I see. The fringe come out and the regular people who are working, who are taking care of their kids and taking their kids to soccer and karate, they're too busy, but um, we're, we need to hear you. We we need you um, to let lawmakers and and policy people and the governor let them know, you know what's important to you. And 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 I know from talking to people in town that these are issues that are important to them. Right. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Church and State. Stick around for today's closing quotation. Today's closing quote comes from Thomas Sowell a world-famous economist. He said, much of social history of the Western world over the past three decades has involved replacing what worked with what sounded good. Thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing these episodes. And for more content, check out churchandstateri.com. 